I'm Jenna Mocha from Stem Cell Technologies. Today, I met with Tamara Tsitek to discuss her use of intestinal organoids as a model for nutrient transport and signaling studies. In her paper, Intestinal Organoids for Assessing Nutrient Transport Sensing and Anchorton Secretion, which was published in Scientific Reports in November of 2015, Tamara and her colleagues described validation of the mouse intestinal organoid model system for studying the mechanistic details of nutritional function and disease. Tamara, can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you first became interested in science? I was actually interested in science and especially in nutrition already since school. After school, I decided to, to study something related to not only nutrition, but, but bio biology or biochemistry in general. So I studied biochemistry and then I was, yeah, I was actually very interested in nutrition all the time. And this is why I wanted to work on also later. So first I did my PhD in functional food. After my PhD, I then started to work on intestinal nutrient transport processes. So I went more into the direction of physiology. And this is, yeah, actually how I got into the whole field. So it's been a relatively straight trajectory for you then. Yes, definitely. Can you give me a quick overview of your current research interests? Current research interest is mainly on nutrient transporters in the intestine. And some of these nutrient transporters are also transporting drugs like um, antibiotics, for example. And I'm working not only on the function of these transporters, but also on their role in intestinal nutrient sensing. So when they are activated by their substrates, these transporters serve as sensors and um, lead to the secretion of incretin hormones, which are then um, important for insulin release and blood glucose control. So my interest is also in the field of diabetes and metabolism. In the course of your research, what prompted you to start using organoids? I started to use organoids, I think, three years ago. So I never had a good system or a perfect system to study the, the molecular mechanisms underlying nutrient sensing and um, incretin hormone secretion because I worked a lot with uh, mice. So we did some in vivo studies, but to study the molecular processes underlying this nutrient sensing and incretin hormone secretion, we needed an in vitro system. So we worked with intestinal um, cell cultures with cell lines, but then we had either epithelial cell lines or enteroendocrine cell lines. The problem is that I wanted to have a system where we have both. So we started to work with um, primary cell culture and there was a system that we learned from a collaboration group in Cambridge. And we started to work with this primary cell culture. And this was better because they had both enteroendocrine cells and epithelial cells. But the problem was that they are no long-term system. So we could only keep them in culture for actually one day, one experiment, and we couldn't passage them. And then finally, um, I heard about the organoids. And I thought it might be yeah the perfect model to study all these processes that I'm interested in. So in epithelial cells or absorptive enterocytes and also in enteroendocrine cells. And this is how I started to establish this model for these functional studies. Can you describe the type of organoid cultures that you're performing? Mm -hmm. So we are using murine intestinal organoids derived from wild-type mice, black six, and derived from different knockout mice. This is mice lacking different intestinal nutrient transporters. 
for example, a mouse lacking the intestinal glucose transporter, SGLT1, or a mouse lacking the intestinal fructose transporter, GLUT5, or a mouse lacking the intestinal peptide transporter, PEPT1, for example, which is also transporting antibiotics. And the method that we use for culturing organoids is the method published by Hans Klevers in 2009. In the scientific reports paper that was published last November, it was a lot of validating the system for these studies. But in starting to culture cells as organoids, did you run across any technical hurdles? Was it a tough system to start up? In generating the organoids, we had in the beginning some problems to identify the right fraction to use for generating, so the right fraction that was most enriched in crypts. Then we switched to a method um, that we did not use EDTA for the generation of organoids, but we used collagenase for isolation of the crypts. This is a method that is actually already published, and we will also publish it now again in how we generated organoids with this method. We will publish that in, an, in a book chapter this year. Well, I have to admit that all these studies that we did worked pretty well. It worked very fast and very well because this is all essays and phenomena that we already knew from in vivo studies, so we knew what we had to expect. And actually, so we adapted a lot from, for example, also cell culture experiments to the organoid system, and it worked very well and actually very yeah, quick also. So when you say that you adapted some of the systems that you'd been using yes. for the other culture techniques, is that the primary culture? This is either primary culture, yes, or um, normal cell lines. So it was fairly easy to port over some of the experimental techniques you'd been using yes. in other systems. Definitely. So, for example, the, the live cell imaging was adopted from cell lines, from normal cell lines, from an enteroendocrine cell line. And our radio-labeled uptake studies were adopted from um, ex vivo, so from, from um, tissue explants. So it must have been kind of exciting to start seeing those assays working yes. in a system where you had the characteristics that you were looking for as far yes. as the cell types being present yes. simultaneously. Yes, yes. So this is really great that we can study all these processes now in one single model, which makes it, of course, so easy to compare, you know, to, to, to compare all these results. And when you need like, to combine different outcomes, then it's, it's much better if you have one model system. So as I alluded to, your scientific reports paper describes validating the murine intestinal model system. Can you describe the types of functionalities that you were trying to validate? We wanted to see if the model can be used for transport studies. So we, we performed the radio-labeled uptake studies for that. And we used also organoids derived from knockout mice to verify and specify the results. We wanted to see then if the model is suitable for hormone secretion assays. So we tested incretin hormone secretion. We stimulated the organoids with different nutrients or stimulants and then looked at secretion of the hormones GYP and GLP-1. And then finally, we wanted to know if the organoids can be used for signaling experiments, so to, to look at intracellular signaling um, with fluorescent light cell imaging. And we looked at calcium signaling and acidification of, int of uh, yeah, intracellular acidification. Were there any results that you found surprising? One thing that I found surprising and which is also very interesting is that when we um, did uptakes of dipeptides in 
organoids derived from mice that lack the intestinal peptide transporter, PEPT1, we saw uh, quite a big signal remaining, which is most probably due to a basolateral peptide transporter. That is described, but not very well characterized yet. So I was quite surprised to see that the contribution of this basolateral peptide transporter is that high. What types of eventual applications were you interested in validating the system for? I wanted to make sure that we can study um, intestinal nutrient sensing processes, that we can identify the transporters. Since we tested um, the system with known sensor proteins, and we know that it works. Now we can study new targets and unknown, protein, unknown proteins. When comparing the results that you saw in organoids to, say, some of the results that you saw in your more homogeneous cell lines, do you know if you found significant differences in, for example, expression levels of certain transporters? We did not directly compare it on mRNA expression, but we compared immune fluorescence and immune fluorescence showed us that protein expression was even higher in the organoids than in a lot of cell lines. And for example, the SGLT1 transporter, the intestinal sugar transporter, is not expressed by many intestinal cell lines. And in the organoids, it's expressed in a very high level. So on protein level, we saw it. In, and it's, it's also um, restricted to the right cell membrane, so to the apical compartment. So the compartment would be representative of what is seen in vivo. Do you know if what you're seeing in the organoids with that expression level is more representative in the organoid than it was in the cell line? Yes, I think it's more than in the cell line. It's very comparable to in vivo. So when we did stainings of the mouse intestine for SGLT1 or PEPT1, which we have um, our own antibodies, that, that are very good and very specific. We found similar, very similar expression patterns um, compared to the organoids in vivo. And also the hormone secretion was very comparable to, um, to the primary intestinal cell culture. That is a very established model for hormone secretion. So now that you've contrasted some of these different methodologies, do you see organoids as complementary to some of the techniques that you were using before, or do you see yourself as replacing a lot of the assays that you were doing in either primary cultures or cell lines with the organoid model? I would definitely replace them. So what are you working on now? Now I'm working, I'm working still on, on intestinal nutrient sensing and on the role of, of different nutrient transporters in uh, incretin hormone secretion. And... I'm also working on transport of some peptidomimetics, which are um, potential drugs for cancer therapy. This is in collaboration with um, the organic chemistry department from our university in Munich. Um, and we find, so preliminary data show that the system is very suitable for um, transport studies of peptidomimetic drugs and prodrugs. So we're looking at absorption of these drugs. So to be used in the context of upstream pharmaceutical development. Yes, yes. So we are now, of course, we have to look at um, reproducibility, variability, all these things. But we tested a few peptidomimetics and we definitely see that they are transported 
And now by the use of knockout organoids, we want to see if these drugs are transported by the PEPT1 transporter, for example. And another thing that we will start to work on now is to transfer all these functional assays that we did to human organoids. And this is because we want to study also malabsorption diseases. For example, we want to analyze organoids derived from patients suffering from diseases like glucose galactose malabsorption, which is a defect in the SGLT1 transporter, or from patients suffering from another disease, uh, which is a deficiency of the GLU2 transporter. So we want to study also with this system the molecular basis of such diseases. For applications for things like pharmaceutical development or some of the precision medicine applications that we've been hearing so much about, what do you see as the major hurdles for that coming to fruition as something that is clinically or preclinically useful? I think one aspect will be what is the right control organoid or what is the right organoid to study derived from which patient, because it would definitely make sense to, to do these kind of studies with human organoids, of course, also, but which will be the right human donor for this organoid. And I think because the organoids conserve the characteristics from the patients that they are derived from, and the variability in between human subjects is quite high. So which ones will you take? I think this will be a challenge to decide. And also um, the variability, I think. So I don't know yet. We had a very low variability in our transport studies, but we have to say that we used, of course, wild-type and knockout organoids, for example. So, But if it comes to reduction of transport by 20, 30, 40 percent, will you be able to, to have such a small variability to assess such changes? So now when we will start working with human organoids, we will first grow... Um, organoids from healthy donors. And then when we established all the assays in the organoids from healthy donors, we want to have biopsies from patients that suffer from these malabsorption diseases, for example, and grow organoids from them. Where do you see these projects going in the next few years? We want to work now on the definitely on, on human patients. We want to generate organoids from human patients and study malabsorption diseases the molecular basis of malabsorption diseases, and we also want to see how far can we go with drug screenings regarding bioavailability of drugs. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today, and I wish you the best of luck with your research. Thank you. For more information on how scientists are using organoids to further their research, visit www.stemcell.com slash organoids podcast for featured applications, researcher profiles, and more.